Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for listening to Depictions Media Radio. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good afternoon. My name is Adrian Dix. I'm BC's Minister of Health. To my right is Dr. Bonnie Henry, BC's Provincial Health Officer. This is our COVID-19 briefing for Tuesday, October the 5th. Uh, we are honored to be here on the territory of the Lekwungen-speaking people, of the Songhees, and the Esquimalt First Nations. We have quite a bit of um, information to report today, and we'll be providing plenty of time for questions. And with that, it's my honor to introduce Dr. Bonnie Henry. Thank you very much, and good afternoon. Today, I'm going to provide our latest updates on the COVID-19 public health response, including some of the updates around vaccination and vaccination issues, as well as uh, the, the, the public health community response. As I don't need to say to people, we are heading into respiratory season, which means we need to ensure we have all of those pieces in place to put us in the best position possible to get through this next few months. This means ensuring we are all fully vaccinated, both for COVID and for influenza. And we make sure that we're taking the appropriate precautions as we all start to spend more time with loved ones and friends and family indoors. I also want to start today by acknowledging with thanks to all of the members of the legislature uh, sitting again this week for being, setting the example of being vaccinated to safely return to work. And I am very grateful for all of you for working together and for supporting all of us across the province um, in making sure that, that, is, uh, that you are setting the example for people in British Columbia. To start with the vaccine update, uh, today we are expanding the availability of a third dose to a second group of immunocompromised, clinically extremely vulnerable people. This is, uh, uh, the, there's a number of people, as we know, who are in that group who were prioritized to receive vaccines early. 
And there are a number in that group whose immune systems do not respond as well to vaccines. And we now know uh, that adding a third dose can actually stimulate a response for many people that gives them as much protection or at least some protection closer to what people with a strong immune response system have. So these are the, today we're expanding to approximately 100,000 people, individuals in British Columbia who will receive an invitation for their third dose. And these are people who are moderately to severely immunocompromised. So in addition to the groups that we talked about, about 15,000 people uh, about two weeks ago, the, we are now adding people who are on active treatment for solid tumor or hematologic malignancy, so those are blood malignant uh, tumors, since March 2020, who have received or are receiving systemic therapy. So that includes chemotherapy, molecular therapy, immunotherapy, targeted therapies, including CART, monoclonal antibodies, hormonal therapy for cancer, and people um, who have both solid tumors as well as hematologic cancers. And people who since October 2020 have received or are receiving radiation therapy for cancer. So I know this is a broad group of people and we have been working uh, under the guidance of uh, Dr. Ballam and Dr. Um, uh, Maureen O'Donnell at uh, PHSA to make sure that we've been in contact with all of your specialists who have identified the people who are receiving these types of therapies and you'll receive an invite from us in the next few days. In addition, people who have moderate to severe primary immunodeficiencies. These are diseases that we often develop or are born with. So these are combined immune deficiencies affecting T cell, uh, um, immune dysregulation, particularly things like familial hematophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis. Those of you who have that know what that is. Or those with type 1 interferon defects caused by a number of uh, genetic primary immunodeficiencies, etc. Again, we have been in touch with the, the specialists who most of you will be seeing to identify you. And in addition, people who have moderate to severe primary immunodeficiency, which has been diagnosed by a, an immunologist and requires ongoing immunoglobulin replacement therapy, so IVIG or SCIG, or the primary immunodeficiency has a confirmed genetic cause. And these are also um, more rare diseases like DiGeorge syndrome or Wiskalt-Aldrich syndrome. In addition, people who have AIDS-defining illness or CD4 count less than 200 or CD fraction less than 15% or detectable plasma viral load since January 2021 or HIV infection and are people who are 65 years of age or older or perinatally acquired HIV infection. Again, a small group of people that we are connecting to reach out to your care providers and to uh, make sure that you have the opportunity to receive a third dose. There are also another of a uh, number of biologic agents that can affect our immune system's ability to respond to vaccines. And these are often used to treat people who have autoimmune disorders. And we know uh, there's a lot of uh, confusion that I hear about um, people with certain autoimmune disorders, whether they can receive a vaccine or not. And to you, I say, Absolutely, if you have multiple sclerosis, if you have rheumatoid arthritis, if you have lupus and many other illnesses for which some of these uh, medications 
are, are prescribed, you are at higher risk of having severe illness or complications from COVID, and we have seen that across the board. So not only should you be immunized, you are now eligible as well to receive a third dose to make sure that you have a good, strong immune response. So there are a number of biologic agents, and I won't list them all. These will be available on uh, the BC CDC web website, on the Immunize BC website, so people can go and find out which ones they are. And in addition, we'll be um, adding people who since December 15, 2020, have been treated with oral immune suppressing drugs. Again, uh, drugs like azathioprine and, and others. And again, those will be listed and people since uh, December 15th who have been treated with immune-suppressing infusions or injections of things like cyclophosphamide and others. Um, finally, the, uh, another group of people who we know don't always mount a good, strong immune response are people who are on dialysis or have severe kidney or renal disease. And again, we have been in contact with your care providers around the province, and we have uh, information on who you are, and you will also be receiving an invite to receive a third dose as part of your primary series. So you will get uh, be contacted by the provincial Get Vaccinated system about how and when to book your third dose. And if you believe you meet one of these criteria, and the details will be on the website, and have not been contacted by next week, you can get in touch with your health care provider, and we're pro providing through Doctors of BC and the college an attestation letter that will um, ensure that you can get your third dose if needed as well. As I shared a couple of weeks ago, um, people who are much greater at risk of severe illness, and in these two groups, not have had sufficient immune response to two doses. This will bring these people up to the level that the majority of us who have two doses have. And so that is an important indication of a way to protect people who are most at risk for severe illness. I know that many people have been asking about third doses uh, for people who are fully vaccinated. Yet their vaccines, or the combination of their vaccines, are not recognized in some countries around the world. All of Canada's vaccines are highly effective in every combination that we have. And I presented data last week that showed that um, here in BC, and we have similar data from other provinces in British, uh, across the country. For those who have taken AstraZeneca, who have taken the, the vaccine that was offered to you at the first opportunity, you did the right thing. And I thank you for doing that. It has made a tremendous difference in transmission of virus and in protecting both yourself, your family, and your community. And your efforts have helped to reduce the spread of this virus in BC. And the data that we presented last week show that these combinations work and work well. We are now actively working with Health Canada and will continue to work with the Public Health Agency of Canada to make sure that Canada has a single internationally recognized vaccine passport that includes the recognition of these combinations. And I can tell you my colleagues at uh, the Public Health Agency and Dr. Tam have been meeting with our, our counterparts in other countries. 
uh, particularly the U.S. CDC, and I know there's a lot of concern about travel to the U.S. Right now, there are no vaccine restrictions in traveling to the U.S. by air, and we know they will be updating the requirements in the coming weeks um, as we get closer to hopefully the land border opening. And we are working very closely with counterparts in the U.S. Centers for Disease Control to make sure that these highly effective combinations are recognized. So please be patient. I will also tell you that we've been working with colleagues in the UK, the European Union, and a number of the important sun destinations that many Canadians go to, including Mexico and the Caribbean, where mixed doses have been a part of the immunization program in many countries, in 19 of the EU countries, for example, and the UK. And these combinations are being recognized by many countries and will continue to do so as this the data that we have here in Canada and in other countries um, shows how effective they are. Um, so please be patient. This is changing rapidly and we know that we uh, will um, have updates on this in the coming weeks. I will also say that the WHO has been reviewing data on mixed and max combinations because it is important for the global pandemic response as well. And as part of that, I want to report that uh, BC will be returning 300,000 uh, doses of mostly Moderna vaccine uh, to the federal government, to our procurer. These vaccines are not required at this time right now in BC, and we still have a number of, uh, a large number of vaccines that are available to meet our needs over the next few months. And these vaccines will be part of the Canadian donation to the COVAX initiative. It is incredibly important for all of us in BC and in Canada that people around the world are vaccinated and protected against this virus. That is the only way that we will get out of this global pandemic. And it's important that we do our part to support that as well. We can be proud that we are doing that here in BC. In terms of our ongoing pandemic management, um, as I have uh, uh, indicated a number of weeks ago, we have an order coming out around uh, requirements for vaccination for all workers in long-term care and assisted living. And I'd like to provide an update on that here today. Um, that order comes into effect next Tuesday, October 13th. And the order in its details will be published uh, on our website today. And there has been some modifications of it that are important. People hired between October 12th and 26th must have a single dose of vaccine and be at least seven days post that dose um, and follow additional preventive measures and must get their second dose within 28 to 35 days after that first dose. So people who receive their, their first dose prior to next Tuesday will be able to continue to work following these preventive measures, but they must commit and be, um, receive their second dose uh, get by 35 days after their first dose. This is recognizing that it is important for us to have people who are vaccinated working in these high-risk settings, and we encourage every single person in long-term care. We know the vaccination rates are high, but in some places they are not yet high enough. It is not too late to protect yourself, to protect your family, to protect those we care for and the workers that we work with. 
people who are ineligible to work after October 12th because they have not yet received at least one dose um, will be uh, off work as of that day without pay. If you do then decide to get your first dose, it will be seven days before you're able to return to work with additional precautions in place. And you must again receive that second dose um, within 35 days after the first. Anybody hired after October 25th will need to be fully vaccinated to work in any long-term care assisted living facility. In the orders you will see as well that we have made allowance only for medical exemptions. If you are waiting for a medical exemption decision, and it does take some time sometimes, we have a central process for doing that, then you must follow additional preventive measures as prescribed. So the forms that are required to uh, request a, an official medical exemption are available on the website as well. And we have put out information to, uh, to physicians and uh, nurse practitioners around the province about what constitutes a valid medical exemption. And we've been working very closely with immunologists and allergists and our experts in, in vaccines at the BC Centre for Disease Control to make sure that we have all of the information that you need. So you must have a valid medical contraindication and those are very few. The requirements again that outside healthcare uh, personal, uh, outside healthcare providers, personal and other providers uh, much, um, must follow which are in our vaccination status are now in this order as well, which means that um, people who want to volunteer or work um, for personal settings, things like hairdressers or people who uh, uh, take care of um, podiatry, for example, in a long-term care home, you must be vaccinated to work in any long-term care home in the province. To support this requirement for vaccination for anyone working or volunteering in a healthcare setting, we are also updating our visitor policy for long-term care and all other healthcare settings. This supports and protects our healthcare workers and the people receiving care and living in these higher risk settings. Starting October 12th, visitors to long-term care and assisted living will need to show their vaccine card for proof of full immunization. And starting October 26th, in line with uh, the orders around uh, healthcare workers in acute care and community care settings, to visit in acute care settings, you must also show that you're fully vaccinated. Those who are not fully vaccinated will not be able to visit in healthcare settings as we go into this time of increased respiratory illness and challenges, as well as, um, as we know, uh, COVID, vac uh, COVID virus. We will, of course, have exceptions for certain situations like palliative and end-of-life care. This coming weekend is Thanksgiving, when many of us typically gather with family and friends over a meal. And I want to ask everyone, please keep your group small this year. Remember what we are seeing in our communities right now. And in particular, if you have older family members or anyone who's immune compromised is planning to attend, make sure everybody who is there is fully vaccinated. That's what you can do to protect yourself, 
then to protect those you are closest to. We want to make sure these gatherings are a happy occurrence and not a cause for virus transmission and illness in the coming weeks. We've learned that this virus, especially the strain that we're seeing causing illness here in BC right now and across Canada, the Delta strain, not only is way more transmissible, but it is causing more severe illness in younger people. And we see that every day in our ICUs here now, in our hospitals, in the number of people who have severe illness, and sadly, in the number of deaths that we're seeing. Vaccination protects you from this serious illness. We are seeing very good protection, continued very strong protection against severe illness from anybody who's been immunized. So it is not just altruistic, it's not just to protect our family and our friends, but it protects you. Even younger people who might have done quite well with, if they had been infected with uh, the virus that was circulating even a few months to a year ago. This strain is causing more severe illness and our best tool to protect ourselves is to be vaccinated. I know in addition to our healthcare settings, many other organizations are also taking steps to put vaccine requirements in place for workers in their settings. It's about keeping your employees, your business partners, and your customers safe. And I would like to thank, as I did already, every member of the Legislative Assembly for committing to be fully vaccinated and doing your part. You are leading by example. And today, the BC Public Service has also announced a requirement for vaccination for everybody who's working in the BC Public Service. And I'm very proud of that recommendation as well, as we need to be showing the way um, and setting an example in our province here in the BC Public Service. I commend these efforts and encourage businesses to also consider this well-considered approach. Thank you very much, and I look forward to taking your questions. Thank you very much, Dr. Henry, and uh, I'm going to take uh, you through just a few um, items of, uh, of information today about uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, um, there'll be a vaccine update, uh, the proof of vaccine requirement in BC's public service, vaccination among long-term care and assisted living staff, contact tracing efforts, and ICU capacity and overall capacity in our hospitals, and our surgical renewal commitment. With respect to vaccinations, uh, and this was um, as of uh, Sunday night, more than 4,087,000 British Columbians have now received their first dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. That's 88.2% of eligible people 12 and over in BC, which is an achievement of the people of BC and of our extraordinary healthcare teams. 81.6% are fully vaccinated. You'll see that the gap between uh, those who are uh, partially vaccinated and fully vaccinated is closing. It's now 6.6%, meaning they've received two doses of a COVID-19 vaccine. Over 18 amongst adults, that number, those numbers are 88.7% of eligible people 18 plus with their first dose, 82.3% their second dose. 
and every everyone involved has decided to make themselves, their family, their community safer. Many employers have been seeking sound advice and guidance on vaccination policies applicable to their situation. These employer actions are welcome news to us all, and they are to be encouraged. As announced earlier today by the BC Public Service Agency, government is acting to increase workplace confidence across the BC Public Service and to stop the spread by requiring proof of vaccination. The BC Public Service is held to the highest example and is there to serve the people of BC. And this important step reflects that duty. It's of the utmost importance that all of us, government, business, and individuals, show leadership on vaccination to make sure everyone in British Columbia is safer from COVID-19. The step by the public service shows the dedication and commitment to support the provincial effort to protect people and get through the pandemic together. We strongly encourage everyone in the province who is not fully vaccinated to make the decision to do this today. Whether it's business or government, acting to make everyone in the province safer from COVID-19 is the right step for everybody. For those who are eligible to be vaccinated, who have not made the decision to do so, I say this. What matters in our BC pandemic today is what we do right now. What matters, it's not what we did a year ago. It's not what we've done over the last six months. It's right now, this moment. And what matters right now is that each of us makes it through, that we make it through safely, that we make it through healthy, that we make it through that you make it through and offering yourself unprotected to COVID-19, presenting yourself unvaccinated to the brutally and assuredly transmissible Delta virus when there's an alternative is no way to make it through. There will be many legacies arising from our BC pandemic. Some as we've seen are positive, restorative, and affirmative. Let not be your legacy be one of, I should have, I wish I had, if only I had. That is no legacy, not for you, not for your family, not for your friends. Please make the better decision. To those who are eligible to be vaccinated have decided, uh, and have not decided to make this essential life and health-saving decision, I implore you to look around you to see the loss and the regrets that others who thought they could face COVID-19 unvaccinated have expressed for trying to face this foe unarmed unsupported and so needlessly vulnerable and make a better decision. Choose your health, choose your loved ones, choose safety and get vaccinated. With respect to, to the vaccination of staff in long-term care facilities, I wanted to bring you up to date on where we are. Dr. Henry talked about the, some of the, about the order that will be published today. With respect to this, we know that this order is coming into effect end of day October the 12th. That's next Tuesday. Uh, and I want to give you a sense of the numbers of who's vaccinated and what percentage who are vaccinated in different health authorities. Every uh, health uh, long-term care and assisted living facilities will be, is, is, has, or will be putting a plan in place to address the potential health human resources challenges involved. We have some facilities have not provided the information yet, but they are doing so in many cases today and have done as we speak, and we'll have full information to provide you uh, shortly. 
in Fraser, the Fraser Health Authority, 97% of healthcare workers in long-term care and assisted living have received a first dose, and 93% have received a second. In the Interior Health Authority, 93% have received a first dose, 88% received a second. In Vancouver Coastal Health, 97% have received a first dose, and 94% have received a second. In Vancouver, on Vancouver Island, 95% have received a first dose, and 91% have received a second. And in Northern Health, 88% have received a first dose, and 79% have received a second. That's for long-term care. For assisted living, in Fraser, it's 96% first dose, 94% second. In Interior, 95% first dose, 90% second. In Vancouver Coastal, 99% have received a first dose and 96% a second. In Vancouver Island, 97% have received a first dose, 94% a second. And in Northern Health, 93% have received a first dose and 87% have received a second. We'll be sharing uh, more data on this later this week when the data is finalized, but that tells you where we are. That represents, those percentages represent about 46,000 healthcare workers. And uh, I, I want to note to everybody, and Dr. Henry has been clear about this, that this group of people, the group of people we're talking about, has done extraordinary work in this pandemic. Their generosity, their commitment, their dedication is something that we are all honored and proud of. And this is another step in that, in that journey. It's a provincial health order to get vaccinated. And so if there are people who are currently unvaccinated, at the end of day, on October 12th, they will be going on leave of absence without pay. Uh, and as Dr. Henry has said, there will only be medical exemptions from that. And so now is the time. Now is the time to get vaccinated, to not have that happen, but as well to support the efforts that are so important in long-term care to ensure that everyone is protected. I'm so proud of our workers in long-term care. I'm so proud. I'm very proud of these levels of vaccination, which shows the commitment of, uh, of people in long-term care to the safety of residents and the safety of the community. And we, we have the, the opportunity in the coming days to do even better. And I encourage everybody to do so. As I reported last week, as COVID-19 cases declined over the summer, we went at the height of the second wave to more than 10,000 active cases. We went down to under 1,000 for a period, and now we're back at around 6,000 cases. Health authorities redeployed some contact tracers to support vaccination or other public health efforts, while others returned to their base positions, including acute care and others that that, uh, other areas that needed support in the healthcare system. In the weeks since, health authorities have refined their initial data on individuals who have returned to contact tracing uh, positions and have added additional staff, bringing to 1,396 the number of contact tracers in place across the five regional health authorities and the Provincial Health Services Authority as of October the 4th. That's 504 in Fraser Health, 195 in Interior Health, 152 in Northern Health, 188 in Vancouver Coastal Health, 119 in Vancouver Island Health, and 238 in the Provincial Health Services Authority. Each of these health authorities continues to add, add additional contact tracers, and I will continue to report on that progress in the coming weeks. 
want to briefly speak to what to issues around uh, ICU and hospital capacity today. As you're aware from previous briefings, we have 9,218 base beds in our healthcare system and a further, um, uh, further 2,353 um, uh, surge beds across the healthcare system. And uh, today, base bed occupancy rate is 94.3%, surge bed occupancy rate is 15.3%. So put that in context. Uh, in terms of our overall uh, health system capacity. Um, as of uh, today, 9,052 people are in hospital overall in BC. That number on September 3rd, a month ago, was 9,088. So it seems like a calm and stable situation in the sense that it's a similar number. It's slightly declined in overall hospitalizations. But this is because of the measures that we've had to take together to support one another in this pandemic, the decision I'll be reporting on later to um, delay certain surgeries, for example. So the situation is being managed, but not it is not in a, in, a, in a good way when you have to make the kinds of decisions we've had to make. As you'll know, as I reported yesterday, 32 people in ICU in the Northern Health Authority have been transferred uh, to uh, the Vancouver Island Health Authority, Fraser Health, or Vancouver Coastal Health. 26 of them are COVID patients in uh, critical care, uh, and none of those 26 is fully vaccinated. That's the reality of the situation. And so all of these steps are being taken to ensure that our acute care system can respond appropriately to um, all of the things it needs to respond to. That's the overall question. In critical care, as you know, there's 510 uh, base critical care beds in our province, uh, which is um, which is a significant uh, number of beds. Of course, there are 218 surge beds for a total of 728 critical care beds in our province. And just to put that in context, uh, today uh, we have uh, approximately 467 people in total. That's not with COVID-19 in total in critical care. And uh, that is a significant number, and it's not dissim too dissimilar to the number that were in critical care on September 3rd, which was 446. But, of course, a very significant number of those, and we'll be announcing them later, are in critical care with COVID-19, and 120 of those are unvaccinated in critical care with COVID-19, a position and a situation of high risk. It is obviously not desirable to be deferring of surgeries and other procedures in our healthcare system to deal with the situation. And the message in these numbers should have been consistent is that we will continue using the plans that we've made public and, uh, uh, on September, in September 2020 to continue to manage our healthcare system to ensure care can be provided for everybody. But the one thing we can all do, the one thing we can do to help in our healthcare system is to get vaccinated and to get vaccinated today. Uh, last week I reported that pressures from COVID-19 had caused additional postponement of non-urgent scheduled surgeries in several health authorities. The number of hospitals continued to postpone surgeries. That means from September 26th to October 2nd, the health authorities postponed 241 non-urgent scheduled surgeries. That was 16 in Fraser Health, 56 in Interior Health, 1 in Northern Health, 11 in Vancouver Coastal Health, and 157 in Vancouver Island Health.
from September 5th to October 2nd, cumulatively, there have been 1,384 surgical postponements. That said, surgeries are continuing. You'll see the dramatic difference in these numbers compared to the suspension of non-urgent uh, scheduled surgeries in the first wave of the pandemic. So from September 12th to September 18th, health authorities completed, with all of this going on, 6,530 surgeries, which is, I think, an extraordinary effort by everyone in the health system. Last week, I reiterated our commitment to every patient who had, had their surgeries delayed, that they would soon receive a phone call to reschedule their surgeries. Every one of these surgeries is important, and we all need to do our part. Uh, just to report on some of the details, in Interior Health Royal Inland Hospital will resume non-urgent scheduled surgeries this week, meaning that Royal Inland, Kelowna General, Penticton Regional, and Vernon Jubilee Hospitals are resuming non-urgent surgeries. In Fraser Health, also this week, Surrey Memorial Hospital will resume non-urgent surgeries in the second operating room, fully restoring all surgeries at that hospital. As we've said throughout the pandemic, the people we're relying on to deliver surgeries are in equal and greater measure counting on us, on all of us, to stop the spread so they can do their critical work. And so I wanted to say uh, finally um, my continuing appreciation to everybody working in our public health care system and to everyone in D.C. We are making progress and we need to keep building on the momentum of vaccination in our province. The community that has seen the largest increase in the last month, in the month of September, was Fort St. John, the largest percentage increase in its vaccination rate. And I applaud those efforts, and obviously at 72%, we want them to continue, but uh, those have been significant efforts. We are making progress, and we can continue to do so. But it is important, it is critical, it is essential to get vaccinated now. And I encourage everyone in British Columbia again to do so. And with that, we're happy to take your questions. Thank you. A reminder to reporters on the line, please press star one to enter the queue. You will be limited to one question and one follow-up. For the first question, we go to Vaughn Palmer, Vancouver Sun. Good afternoon. Thank you for the briefing. Uh, Emphasizing again today in the information we're being given of the problem in northern and northeastern British Columbia, BC Hydro reported last week it's had two major outbreaks at Site C this year, and the majority of the cases were among the unvaccinated. Hydro also says that a significant share of its workforce rotates in and out of British Columbia from Alberta. Should Hydro be making it mandatory to be double vaccinated to work at Site C as a way of helping contain the problem in northeastern BC? Um, the short answer from my perspective as provincial health officer is absolutely yes. We have been working with my teams in, in uh, Northern Health, the public health teams, uh, Dr. Jung and, and uh, Jung Kim and, and our team have been working with Site all along. We had some challenges with a number of the large industrial camps uh, la over last winter and put in measures and worked with them. They have very strong medical uh, support on site now um, and have had for the last year. 
Um, but yes, these continue, and it started in the summer. We've had reports from uh, Northern Health. We've put in uh, additional orders for the industrial camps uh, that require reporting of vaccination status of workers, but it's not high enough, and that is contributing to some of the surge that we're seeing in communities. It's also contributing to challenges in workers becoming sick, in the, particularly in the congregate living settings that they're in, in the industrial camps. So I have uh, written a letter uh, to all of the, uh, um, uh, the uh, uh, employers in the large industrial camps, uh, particularly in the north, um, saying that it is my very strong recommendation that they make it a requirement, particularly of living in the uh, uh, communal living settings that they have in the industrial camps. Yeah, just to add on, because the, the detailed information gives a sense of that. There was an outbreak declared on August 18, 2021 at Site C. There are currently 15 active cases uh, at that outbreak. Uh, the situation is stable. Just to, so we understand, 3,575 doses have been administered on site. That's 1,985 first doses and 1,592nd doses. The immunization rates of the workers, of the 2,000 workers reporting to date, is 83% fully vaccinated, 7% partially vaccinated, 5% unvaccinated, and 5% not disclosed. We've been making progress there. And as of October 1st, there are 1,687 workers in camp. The short answer is we're encouraging everyone to go uh, this route. It's important. Um, and obviously, Crown Corporations are not a public service, so you'll understand. But we're encouraging everyone in BC to get vaccinated and encouraging our leaders uh, in BC, whether uh, in whatever part of the business sector, public or private, to encourage these efforts as well. Vaughn, do you have a follow-up? Yes, please. Um, you've said several times that employers have a right to uh, make vaccination a requirement to work. Um, where employers have not done that, how much leeway do employees have to refuse to work alongside the unvaccinated? Yeah, I'm not sure I'm qualified as uh, to answer those questions. I'm afraid, um, you know, those are uh, part of uh, labor relations and labor laws. I know there are uh, there is good advice that um, uh, WorkSafe BC has put up uh, that the Ministry of, of Labor has uh, pulled together for employers to answer those specific questions. But it is an important consideration you do have a requirement to have a safe workplace. And what we're seeing right now with the strain of, of the virus that's circulating is it can be uh, transmitted very rapidly. And that risk goes down dramatically when everybody in that setting is vaccinated. So it is an important worker safety issue. Um, but for the technical advice on, on how that plays out within an individual workplace, I refer people to to WorkSafe BC. They have some great information there for employers. Our next question, we go to Richard Zussman, Global News. And Dr. Henry, you've obviously mentioned that the public service is now required to be vaccinated uh, starting in November. Uh, many of those workers work in controlled environments, 
uh, workplaces, we anticipate they already have a high rate of immunization within that environment. In a school setting, teachers are mainly working with those who are not immunized in the elementary system all the way up until 12. Why not send out a provincial purview to require immunization for schools? Um, and if not that, what is your expectation? Are you concerned that some districts with lower rates of immunization will not do it themselves um, because it would mean uh, there would be far too many in the system not immunized or, or not, not being able to work because of the mandate? Yeah, it, that's a very good question. And these are obviously things that we've been talking through and thinking through uh, quite a lot. And so, if I, I, as I've said uh, several times, you know, public health orders require certain conditions to be in place. It has to, I have to have reasonable and probable grounds to believe there's a health hazard. And there is that in the healthcare setting. And that's why we focused on the areas where an order is needed in a healthcare setting. So it is a different situation in many other settings, including industrial camps, including absolutely schools. So we have been talking with the Ministry of Education, with uh, union representatives, with uh, our committee that we have, our school committee. And uh, I know that uh, the Minister of Education is uh, looking at how to do this or how um, these issues can be addressed in, a, in an inclusive provincial perspective. And uh, I don't know, Minister, if you wanted to talk to that because I know there's been some uh, mm -hmm. ongoing discussion. Uh, thank you very much for the question, uh, Richard. As Dr. Henry has said, the vaccine mandates by public health order are health care, and they are relate to health care. And of course, there are hundreds of thousands, people in the hundreds of thousands working in health care, including 50,000. We'll see that order put in place on October 12th. Uh, we know um, there is a desire expressed by people in school communities for uh, mandates in education and as such the education ministry my colleague minister of education jennifer uh, whiteside is immediately convening uh, an advisory committee an ad hoc ad hoc one with bcpc and other partners to develop common principles standards and guidelines to support boards with the potential implementation of vaccine mandates the committee will work quickly to get these materials to boards as soon as possible if boards wish to explore vaccine policy independently, we would strongly encourage them to work with BCPC and their local partners. In other words, that work is going on. In the direct public service, you know, the direct employees of the public service agency, and this is a direction from the deputy minister, the head of the public service, uh, Lori Wanamaker, uh, this has been put in place where we are direct employers and have put this measure in place. I think it's an important measure to make people safe safe and we're encouraging everybody in every possible way to get vaccinated. Richard, do you have a follow-up? I do. Um, you provided obviously the numbers today on uh, long-term care staff that are immunized. Do we have any sense about what that is like uh, for the larger health care system? Are we worried about um, how many workers may not be able to work come uh, October 26th? In that case, and I know you've made a bunch of changes today, was that to try to avoid losing a number of workers on October 14th uh, in long-term care and assisted living? 
Um, it really was uh, an, an evolution of um, the intent of the orders, and the intent of the orders is, of course, to provide the best protection through vaccination that we can, um, both for workers themselves, so that we can keep the the, uh, the care system going, but also for those we care for who are more vulnerable to severe illness. So we don't want to, to penalize somebody um, if they've made that correct decision, the best decision to be vaccinated. So it is putting in place the provisions that are supporting people, that you it's not too late um, to get vaccinated and to be able to continue to work with additional precautions and testing, et cetera, in place. And if we look at the broader healthcare sector, those orders are, are under development. There's a consultation process that we do um, with uh, HEABC, with the unions, with the health authorities, et cetera, um, the colleges of uh, physicians and uh, nurses and pharmacists and others who are affected. So those are in their final stages as well and will be coming out um, in the next few days and be posted so people can see the Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. details there but really it is uh, we, we we don't have the same degree of information um, but we have some uh, good strong numbers from some of the areas uh, in the broader health sector and we expect that we're going to see very strong positive uh, uh, numbers similar to what we're seeing for long-term care so yes it is supporting people cajoling people ensuring that they have all of the information that they need to make that right decision as we head towards both the 12th and the 26th. For the next question, we go to Mike Hager, Globe and Mail. Sort of follow up on, on that backward concern. Um, can you just explain why the deadline was extended for the second dose? Um, is, is that a real concern in long-term care and assisted living? Given um, you know workers are, are uh, are hard to come by in the best of times. Well, it's always uh, supporting, and, and we haven't extended the deadline. We've made, the deadline is still the twelfth, um, but what we've done is has made sure that people. Um, uh, are not uh, penalized if they've had their first dose and are committed to getting their second dose and, and so that will be official and uh, it really puts it in line with what we were doing for new hires and other 
so, um, but yes, it is because we, we know that, uh, that we have a very limited healthcare resource, that we are supporting people to get immunized to make sure that they continue to, to provide the care that they've done so well through this last year and a half. And uh, yes, it's to make sure that every facility, uh, every resident, is uh, still able to get the care they need. And we've been putting in contingency plans to make sure that that will continue. So it, it has been a huge endeavor, and I can't uh, say how appreciative I am, um, how, I can't say enough how, how appreciative I am of all of the healthcare workers in long-term care and acute care who've been supporting each other um, as we've worked through all of the issues that people have on this a really important issue, but it is the most important thing that we can do to protect residents, to protect patients, to protect each other um, as we head into this respiratory season. Do you want to add more? And, and just to be clear, I mean, 96% um, uh, um, uh, first dose immunization is very good. We've seen in the last number of weeks uh, in the hundreds of new um, healthcare workers in uh, long-term care and assisted living get vaccinated, and that's really important when you consider, consider the relatively small number of people, the 4% who are currently unvaccinated. And so what this does, what this change does, is it says to everyone who is unvaccinated in long-term, working in long-term care assisted living this week, that they can get vaccinated and continue to work with the provisions put in place by Dr. Henry uh, following October the 12th. So the deadline is the deadline to get vaccinated. That will continue to be the case. And I'm very encouraged as we do work facility by facility that we can continue to move those numbers up because there's something that's better than 96%. It's 97% and 98% and 99%. And that's, um, that's where we want to continue to push over the next week. Mike, do you have a follow-up? Thank you. Um, the Minister of Health referenced, um, you know, more numbers coming on later this week. Can you just give us a sense of the percentage of uh, broader healthcare workers that are fully vaccinated and um, just how, uh, you know, the resourcing will be, uh, or sorry, the resources will be reallocated once that other deadline um, hits and if there are shortages. Um, it's, <laughs> I, I can't give you those numbers in exactitude, in exactly right now. Um, those are the, that's the work that's ongoing in the health authorities. Um, we know, for example, that at least 97% of physicians uh, in the province from doctors of BC who've been, um, talking to, to physicians, so, uh, are, are immunized. And we know that, uh, that, that continues. And it continues facility by facility through the health authorities in particular, but in many of the community-based organizations as well. And I think that's important. The, the orders for, uh, law, uh, for acute care and uh, community care are very inclusive. It is anybody who is an employee of a, of a health authority or contracted facility. So it essentially includes healthcare workers who work in settings outside of a, of a hospital, outside of a, um, a, a, of a, um, a community center. So if you're a healthcare worker 
from PHSA, for example, who works in the correctional facility, it will cover you. So I think people have been waiting to look at what the scope is, and I've been very clear from the beginning that includes all healthcare workers in all of the settings in the community and um, in uh, facilities across the province, and, and I, th I believe that will be an incentive to get that up. But we have a system um, that uh, it records employee immunization and so the health authorities are working on that right now to try and determine um, how many people are vaccinated in different programs. So I don't have those numbers right now and I don't know, Minister, if you do at the moment. But uh, I just say that um, the 96% number is based on 46,000 uh, people. They're actuals. It's not a survey. It's not anything else. It's actuals. And I think that would be reflective of the broader system and we'll be reporting on the numbers uh, through acute care and in the community in the coming weeks. We're obviously focused in the next number of days to uh, ensure that we get the complete picture and we work with individual facilities because as you know, at 96% there are facilities that are above that and inevitably uh, facilities that are below. And so we'll be doing a lot of work in the next few weeks to raise those numbers everywhere and in every community across BC. Just to say though that 96% of this very large group of healthcare workers across the spectrum of healthcare in long-term care and assisted living is a pretty good indication of where we sit in healthcare. We're at 88%, we're at about 89% of all adults and that puts us at 96% above that and you see it across the regions where healthcare workers are significantly above uh, the regional average in every region in the province as well. So I think uh, that uh, this sample of 46,000 workers is a pretty good indication. For the next question, we go to Rob Buffum, CTV Vancouver Island. Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my question. Um, my first question is the First Nations Health Authority is, is calling for booster shots for members of First Nations uh, particularly perhaps after a recent outbreak amongst the House of First Nation. I'm wondering what's your reaction to that and what is the likelihood that we will see First Nations communities prioritized for a booster shot? Yeah, so the, the, the FNHA and I were working very closely on this whole issue. Um, there's a number of things around booster shots and we, we've made the first decision based on uh, the advice from the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, looking at timing, etc. around uh, residents of long-term care. But we are also looking at what other populations uh, should be prioritized for a booster shot, it, who's it needed in, what are the parameters that we're going to use, and, and why would we do it. Uh, so there's a couple of things that we're looking at. Uh, one is uh, people who were immunized earliest and with shorter intervals. Things we've learned are that the longer interval gives you stronger and longer lasting protection, which is good news uh, for most people in BC, but there's some communities um, that uh, receive their vaccine at the shorter interval. So those are all things that we're working through and we're working through the data on whether it's needed. I will say that there are a number of First Nations communities across BC right now, particularly in the north, but also in all of the areas, uh, the health authorities, where we, we prioritize vaccination and we had really good uptake, particularly in seniors and elders. And it made a huge difference in blunting our second and our third waves. But we are now seeing that leveled off. So the, the number one 
priority for all of us in communities. I've been had the privilege of speaking with First Nations leaders across the province a couple of times, and again I will this afternoon. Um, the First Nations Health Authority is to get everybody vaccinated. So we still have rates that are below the the average in the province in, in a number of communities, and we're seeing transmission, and we're seeing transmission um, leading to severe illness in people who are not hosp or who are not vaccinated, leading to hospitalizations, and sadly we've seen some deaths. So the most important thing that we are all working on right now is getting everybody with their two doses. And yes, we are looking at whether a booster dose is needed across the board, not only for Indigenous peoples here in BC, but across Canada. So we're sharing data with our counterparts with the Indigenous Services Canada. So all of these things are under consideration. Um, in some communities um, where we are seeing uh, a lot of transmission and breakthrough infections as an outbreak management tool, like we do in long-term care, um, there may be an occasion to offer a third dose in those communities. But those are all things that we're doing, working with uh, uh, leaders and health leaders on the ground for each community. So we'll have more to say about that in the next two to three weeks, not only about uh, Indigenous peoples and First Nations communities, but also the broader population in BC and whether and when uh, booster doses might be needed. Rob, do you have a follow-up? I do, and uh, my follow-up is on behalf of or for a colleague, and it's for Minister Dix. It relates to uh, routine colonoscopies, and the question uh, relates to the story she's doing about a 40-year-old mother who's advocating for routine colonoscopies in young adults to help with early diagnosis of colorectal cancer after this mother waited for more than a decade to get one, which uh, ultimately diagnosed her with terminal cancer. She had no risk factors for colon cancer and thinks that a single colonoscopy much earlier would have spared uh, this tragedy. So she's wondering, um, why isn't BC making colonoscopy screenings routine from a young age, similar to the system around pap smears? Interesting. <laughs> I have some thoughts on that. Yeah, I, th I think uh, to a degree, um, some of those questions are, are best with Dr. Henry, we have a colon cancer screening system in BC. In general, the age we start screening is uh, 50 plus, although it, depending on your family circumstances, uh, through my family as in others, uh, where there's a history of colon cancer, that might be different. We've dramatically um, increased the number of colonoscopies we've performed over the last three years. Uh, in keeping with the very significant investment we've made in all forms of diagnostic uh, screening and certainly um, the request and the expression of concern from your viewer is one we'll take a look at. But those decisions about how we provide care are provided on medical advice. Obviously the circumstances you described are, are tragic. Uh, people, everyone in BC I think, uh, most people who are living and dealing with cancer. So we're going to continue to and have done is increase services, even in this period of pandemic compared to what it was prior to 2017 for colonoscopies and for other diagnostic uh, processes, including 
our province-wide colorectal cancer screening program, which I've been uh, an advocate for, as you know. So um, the short answer is we let, we let uh, the healthcare professionals provide the guidance on this, but this is an area where we've invested as a province considerable resources with significant benefit because obviously earlier detection is uh, means uh, a greater chance of survival and I know that personally uh, in my family uh, as people will know and in other people's families the difference that can make so uh, that's why these screening programs are put in place that's why we're enhancing the number of colonoscopies that's why we support can cancer screening programs such as the new cancer screening program for lung cancer in order to provide the earliest possible detection so we can provide the best possible outcomes for people. It's a very tragic story. My heart goes out to that family and obviously uh, I would be happy to, um, to talk to your viewers about, your viewer about her concerns and about her experience as well. For the next question, we go to Rob Brown, Dawson Creek Mirror. Good afternoon, thanks for taking the call today. Um, just uh, circling back to some stats earlier in, in the presentation, uh, 26 uh, COVID patients moved to ICUs away from Northern Health, uh, and they are, uh, as noted, not vaccinated. Both the minister and the health minister um, and, and Dr. Henry talk about leadership and, and, and getting vaccinated right now, if you're not, uh, in British Columbia, Canada, nay the world. Uh, up in the, in northern uh, health area and certainly in the, in the peace region, we've had a couple mayors uh, go on the record as saying they're pro-choice as it relates to the vaccine. And a handful of chambers also uh, note some vaccination passports concerns. Either the minister or um, Dr. Henry, how do you respond to um, that, you know your call for leadership when we have community leaders in this area, quite frankly, doing the opposite and going on the record as being uh, in opposition to your recommendations as the you know the health experts of the uh, the province, and you know how does that uh, work in your battle against you know shambolic vaccination rates in certain areas of the province? like this one. Yeah, I'll let the minister take most of this, but I just want to say um, I've had the privilege again of meeting with a number of, uh, with many of the mayors and local elected representatives across the north, and they have been 100% supportive of the important role that they play in uh, providing uh, advice and guidance and leadership in their communities. And uh, it is important for local people, despite some of the pushback that they get from some people in those communities. And in every community in BC, there are more people who are vaccinated than not. And that's by an increasingly greater margin. So we need to um, make sure that we're putting out that important uh, good information that we're countering the misinformation and the disinformation that is making people uh, sometimes afraid, and that we make it in, uh, we make it very um, what's the right word that we're very explicit about choice is one thing, but choice has consequences, and when those choices you make are having effects on the rest of your community then those has that has implications and it means that you are restricted from doing certain things and that's the point of the BC vaccine card 
It's to show people, to remind people that the choices they make have impacts on others. And we're seeing that in the North now, particularly in the Peace Region, where people have to be transferred, where people can't get the care that they need. So all of us need to stand up and make sure that people have the information they need to make the right choice. Uh, thank you for the question. I'll just say that there are 32 um, patients that have been transferred since uh, we started to do this um, uh, some weeks ago now. 26 of those patients are positive for COVID-19, six are in other circumstances, but um, we're receiving, um, you know, we're best to receive their care elsewhere. But what it meant for, the, for all 32 was being flown uh, by air ambulance from their home communities. There are, I believe, uh, 22 of them came to Vancouver Island, which is a long way from Vanderhoof and from Smithers and from uh, Puskupi and from Dawson Creek and from Fort St. John and from Prince George. It's a long way. It's hard on them, it's hard on their families, hard on the healthcare workers. It has an impact on uh, surgeries, of course, everywhere, including on Vancouver Island. Uh, I want to say this though, I'm very proud that we're doing it. It's absolutely the thing we need to do, which is to support one another in difficult times. But our workers in Northern Health have been doing exceptional work under difficult circumstances. And people in our healthcare system around the province is responding to support the North just as the North supported other parts of BC at other times in the pandemic. Northern Health, uh, North, and Northern Health and communities in Northern Health have, I think, been incredibly supportive. We are providing care to everybody, no matter what your circumstances and no matter what your vaccination status. But we are saying this that the more people who are vaccinated, the better off we'll all be. And I think, I think, and I would say this, that when you have a diagnosis for COVID-19, you need critical care. There is no choice anymore. And it's not a choice. It's a decision people are making. I'm also proud of our mayors in the North and our MLAs in the North. Uh, people such as Shirley Bond and Nathan Cohen and Jen Rice and Mike Bernier and Dan Davies, John Rustat, uh, Corey Oaks, our representatives and MLAs in the North have been unanimous and passionate in their efforts to support vaccination. I think this reflects... Uh, talking about, there's a framework, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization is considering these uh, these in great detail and uh, my uh, counterparts in the Council of Medical Officers of Health, Chief Medical Officers of Health, were looking at these data that are coming from um, NASI. So it is about whether it's uh, First Nations communities, whether it's uh, healthcare workers who were immunized early on, and how long is, does the protection last? Do we need to have a booster dose? Um, what about people who work in, in settings where they can pass it on to people who are more at risk? Community dwelling elders, people by age, um, and you know the general population. So there's a whole number of considerations that we need to go through, whether it's ethical effectiveness, uh, you know when is the best uh, time for it. So those are all things that we are seized with, um, in and have been for the last few weeks, and we'll have more to say about that in the in the coming weeks by the end of this month 
we'll have more information and uh, be able to talk about uh, other populations, including um, people in the community. Thank you for listening today, and thank you for supporting us with our sponsors. Please go to depictions.media for more information, and click on our contact link and let us know how we can help, how we can help bring your story and help bring us to a better world. This show has been produced by Depictions Media. Please contact us at depictions.media for more information.